AS I I attitude attitudes of sexual integrity 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 AS I Welcome listeners to the ASI podcast. Welcome. It's the end of the year Christmas. Ah, throwing snowballs. <laughs> uh, episode. All right. Uh, answering some email and uh, messages that I got on the show today from listeners like yourself. So, hey, hit the subscribe button if you haven't done that yet. Subscribe to the ASI podcast. I'm a podcaster. We're all supposed to say that, all right? <laughs> my duty. Also, that's the Christmas. That's all you get bumper music this year. Yep. Ho, ho, ho. Merry Christmas. Sorry. There you go. Royalty free Christmas YouTube stuff. <laughs> there you are. See that? Not going to get in trouble with the recording industry, the RIAA, today. I share, it's called bumper promo music in the talk radio world. I don't know what the big deal is. Uh, I've never gotten in trouble for it. All right. Knock on whatever. I don't know. People say that. I guess superstition. I don't know. It's like I bumped the mic there. Squirrel! Right? I digress. Distraction. <laughs> it's an easy way to... It's a... It's a bit of an uncomfortable subject. Breaking the law. Is that even what I'm doing? Like, again, talk radio does it. So who knows? Getting coal in my stocking, I guess. That's if Santa has some kind of ties to the recording industry. <laughs> Trying to keep their taxi-like status when uh, when Uber's been invented. <laughs> right? Uh, speaking of corporations and uh, taxi-like... And uh, sharing the ride, <laughs> that is the ASI podcast, because much like Rideshare, this uh, vehicle, <laughs> right, it, it costs money, needs maintenance, upkeep, right? Happy holidays, Merry Christmas, and I wanted to thank listeners to the show, people that... Uh, left reviews in 2018 of the podcast here. I appreciate that. Um, but from my hard work and feverishly typing, uh, coding, and speaking into this here mic heart, right? <laughs> Slaving over a hot microphone in the basement studio here. I wanted to thank uh, listeners for supporting this podcast uh, over 2018. Again, another year where listeners came through and helped pay the bill, uh, keeping the gas money flowing into the the gas tank that is ASI, it wouldn't exist without listeners like you. And that's really is true when people stop being generous and saying, Hey, there's value to this. And when the maintenance bill comes in, when the thing breaks down, uh, it will cease to exist. Right. Like this is, uh, if it doesn't have any value, uh, if there's no gratuity, right. Uh, and that's what this is fueled by. So, uh, I'm as far as corporations go, uh, ASI is uh, owned by an LLC that I own called Digital Audio Project. Um, I'm not a big believer in 501c corps, uh, just on principle and having integrity. 
Uh, I think there's a lot of BS in, in quote, nonprofit, putting that in air quotes, right? So if you give to the show, if you have a year-end thing that you may want to do, man, I'd certainly appreciate it. The show would benefit, uh, the message would benefit, right? Um, But yeah, you can't deduct that from your taxes. It's simply to pay the bills. Is it nonprofit? Yes. I'm not turning a profit doing this. I put countless hours into producing and uploading and coding these shows. Um, and yeah, man, if I added all that up, it's uh, in the red quite extensively, but that's not why I do it. It has a different, uh, value statement. Uh, but in this episode, as far as the, uh, copyrighted music, at least at the beginning of the show, <laughs> I don't know how it's going to end yet. Still, uh, jury's still out on that one. But uh, give to the Russia Legal Defense Fund. <laughs> no, man. Half a million downloads. Um, haven't had any trouble yet. So I would like to think if I was an artist, uh, I would appreciate someone. Because I've shared bands that you've probably never heard of on this here podcast. Or didn't know that... Uh, uh, Bad Religion, the punk rock group, had a Christmas album with very hymn-like uh, punk covers in it, for example. But yeah, man, keeping my uh, keeping my nose clean with the recording industry today. Trying not to be on Santa's naughty list. <laughs> Do a show about sex? The naughty, naughty, naughty boy, Russ. Santa's not sure about a show that talks about people's genitals. Seriously, though, um, it's really less about genitals and more about our bodies and our brains that we think about and feel about these sexual issues that no one likes to talk about. Because they're afraid of being on the freaking naughty list. That's why, right? Uh, If we can't talk about sex, what can we talk about? Um, it's, it's really, anyway, sorry, I'm going to get ahead of myself if I don't stop, but listen, I'm glad you're spending this time with me today. You listening right now, wherever you're at, in your car, on the bus, headphones on at home, whatever's going on in your life, man, I want you to know. Sincerely, from the bottom of my heart, I value our time together. I really do. And some of you have actually taken your time and actually sent me messages. Folks listening to the podcast, uh, people corresponding with me uh, on some of the sexual needs episodes that I got put up recently. Uh, make a cool audiobook. It's like an audiobook for free. That's my Christmas present to you. Uh, <laughs> you're, you're welcome. I don't know. Um, chapter five is going to be titled Penetration and unpacking what all of that means on a sexual, relational, spiritual, and psychological right brain, right brain, left brain kind of way. Uh, hopefully it makes sense to someone out there besides myself (laughs) today also yeah so today on the show 
all I'm like covering almost everything as far as social media is concerned. Uh, so people don't just send me emails anymore. When I started the show, it was all email, you know, it was all like discreet and stuff. And, and now, uh, you can contact me on Facebook, uh, heart, mind, love, sex, and affection is the Facebook page for this very podcast. Uh, it's funny how not as many people like, like that page as, uh, listen to the show so just a, a fraction of the people so maybe there's still some of that stigma right like and it's not right it's not the asi attitudes of sexual integrity page it's you know heart mind love sex and affection that's a that's a topic right that's a topical group kind of thing that people can talk about that doesn't have all the uh the weirdness stigma attachment to it uh i don't know this is a show about sexuality it's a show for people uh, like myself who we, their sexual lives got out of control, right? Got uh, to the point where it was controlling them. They didn't control it. Uh, maybe. I don't know. So that's where I come from anyway, being curious about the power of sex drive for one thing. Uh, so that's a big part of this show. Um, anyway, so not to get ahead of myself, uh, other ways you can be in contact with me like some listeners who you're going to hear from today uh twitter there's uh at russ shaw is my twitter handle at russ shaw one is a a a tech guy in the uk who i cross paths with on twitter a lot because people think i'm him i don't know if people think he's me that would be weird right are you the guy that does the sex show um so there's that at russ shaw on twitter uh oh uh, instagram i have an instagram account now i've had it for a year or so uh i finally got on instagram i like pictures i like looking at pictures all right sure you could get in trouble on instagram like you could get in trouble on anything else why did i mention that i feel like i'm being scrutinized now right <laughs> like, just knock it off stop making me feel that way i feel like i'm in the principal's office and you're gonna whip out the I don't know, the lamp, you know, you put it over, those are cop shows. I didn't do real well in school because, you know, when I read a book, I'm, it's the pictures. I'd rather look at the pictures, man. <laughs> I'm a picture picture guy. Will you see a bare breast on uh, Instagram? Yeah, you probably, you know, especially if you're looking for that. Uh, it's out there. This is not a uh, hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil kind of podcast, by the way. There's no purity is not in the uh, description uh, of this show. I get it, right? I get the word purity. You know, you want you'd rather drink pure water than dirty water, uh, but but it's a little more complex when it comes to our sexual lives. All right, it's just not simply purifying water analogies. Um, Although those can be helpful, they can also be unhelpful because it makes things like, oh, yeah, it's just that simple. Just purify yourself, which we get back to those three monkeys again, right? Hear no evil, see no evil, speak no evil. Again, a little more complex than that. Uh, Don't get me started. (laughs) Get me started. You can find me on Instagram, c.russshaw is the handle, all one word, Russ Shaw, c.russshaw. The C stands for Charles. I go by my middle name, okay? I had red hair when I was a little kid. They called me Rusty. I can't help it. 
my dad's like, call him Russell now. He's a man. Stop calling him Rusty. That's a child's name, you know? Um, I think I was like 12 at that point. A little... All right, so going to get right into it. I feel like I need a, a transition here. And I'm back! And back in the van! Recording this uh, segment here. It's where I do some of my best thinking. That and time, right? Time is... <laughs> It's an issue doing this podcast. And it's uh it's a day later. I recorded that. I recorded that yesterday. Um it was probably my first day off in a couple of weeks. So been busy over here, right? I'd like to put shows up uh, more frequently, but that's kinda kinda what we're dealing with here. I was in a really good mood and that's another thing is is doing a year of review. Um, it's been a difficult year, man. Uh, it's been good, but also really hard. So, to review, 2018, uh, the ASI podcast, me, Russ Shaw, um, how has it been, right? So I started, uh, this, this season six, uh, getting honest about my own mental health and recovery and talking about some of uh, what some could call relapse, right? Uh, looking at pornography and the way I kind of glazed over it in the show in the last few years, uh, and just being honest about that. I was thinking about about the word compromise, right? Did I compromise my integrity? Uh, attitudes of sexual integrity is the name of the show. I talked about how. Um, I don't put a real high value on purity, right? Like, I think that the way the Apostle Paul, again, translates that sexual purity in the Bible has a lot different implications in the first century than it does today. Um, there's There's just a lot in the mix today that there wasn't back in, in Bible times, right? Like 2,000 years ago. We're a media culture, information driven, picture-driven media kind of culture, all right? So the access to that makes uh, purity a lot different. And I got an email from a listener recently, so here's another (laughs) addressing the email that uh, brought this to mind is, um, if I look at pornography, I'm going to go down the rabbit trail, like alcoholism, right? Like if I have one drink, I'm going to have two and then five and then... I'm going to get blackout drunk. Um, is that how pornography works? Me looking at images of my phone and then realizing that it really doesn't have that pull on me anymore um, was was kind of depressing. I talked about that in some of the, the past episodes. Um, that, you know, i am I'm been faithful to my wife, all right? It's been 13 years. Uh, I, I'm, I'm not going to be that guy again. I also called myself an ex-addict in the past, right? And I was never, I didn't want to look at pornography again, which is kind of true, right? Like I, I, even when I wanted to, it was really trying to understand shame, okay? To put it in theological language, 
understanding my relationship with God as Abba Father, you know, Papa, Brendan Manning talking about God as this loving Father, and having, again, the sin attitude that I had in some of the earlier shows, you know, really believing and starting to experience this realization that God wants good for me and you, for his kids, right? That we are kids, and that, like, you know, if you have a two-year-old in your family, or if you're you're a parent, you can relate to some of this. Like, when your two-year-old gets up to walk and takes five steps and then falls down, do you wag a finger of shame in their face and say, how dare you, right? Um, no, you're ecstatic for the four or five steps. So, I could have a attitude towards my relapse, putting that in quotes, right? That is uh, shame on you, right? You look at you, you have all these people and you're this guy and you, you know, and look what you did, you know, and then you, and then you kind of skimmed over it and you didn't really, you know, Mr. Integrity, you know, all these voices in my head accusing me, uh, shaming me. Not really the same as a loving father trying to teach his son to walk, right? Emotionally getting up and walking, being present. See, I probably would have agreed with that analogy of the the two-year-old falling down, uh, you know, three years into this podcast. I would have nodded and said, yeah, that's great. That makes sense. But I hadn't experienced it yet. I hadn't experienced it yet. So I'm not encouraging you to just go out and relapse so you can experience falling on your butt as a kid. What I'm saying is, subconsciously, my understanding of finding safe space, there was something going on with that. There was something going on with my hunt for pornography and getting back into masturbation. Um, when we weren't having sex. And part of that was even my, not that my wife didn't want to, right? But it was also part of my, the way I was turned on just wasn't, it was, everything was changing in me. And that really jacked with me, all right? Some of this is, um, there's this analogy that C.S. Lewis used where he said, uh, God moves into our heart and we think that he's going to, you know, he says, hey, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to do some remodeling, right? God moves into our heart. There's a remodel going on and we think he's going to put up some new gutters, right? He's going to put some new gutters on the house, maybe a fresh coat of paint. Uh, And no, instead of on the surface doing that, God gets in and starts ripping down walls and pulling out pipes, you know? That's what happens when people really take this idea of healing, maybe even AKA, as the Bible would call it, repentance, because God is kind and loving, not because he's a, yo, I'm going to send you to hell if you don't. No, no. It is, it is getting in there and healing. That is different, man. That is different than than some drill sergeant uh, with a stick ready to smack you in the butt if you're bad. It's also much different than, um, than the carrot at the end of the stick, right? 
well, if you do this, your marriage is going to be great. And, you know, you got this carrot in front of you. And listen, when, when that doesn't work out, um, for me and my story, yeah, man, that it was still really difficult. My marriage was still really hard. It still is today. Uh, it's better <laughs> than it was even a year ago based on some of the work I've done. But, man, it is, uh, again, so pornography being this this thing that's outside of you going to suck you down the drain um, it's not that simple all right compulsive behavior uh, impulse control is a thing hey, man it really is addictive behaviors I have an addictive personality what if the reason for that is has more to do with healing some of the wounds that are on the inside that some of those pipes were rusty and needed to come out right uh, what if that has more to do with it than just our fear of the big scary things that might the the vice right we're gonna get our heart stuck in a vice and it's just gonna oh you're giving yourself over to the devil <laughs> it's not that simple man not that simple it's a little more complex and we have a loving god walking with us as we go through the valley of the shadow of death we are not alone all right the way i approached uh viewing pornography in the past. I don't want to be a fear monger, but that may have been just understanding my own story. I scapegoated pornography some, saying that, you know, uh, compulsive pornography use will eventually lead to you seeing prostitutes. Uh, do I still believe that? Well, yes, but... <laughs> um, where does the compulsive pornography use come from? Does that mean pornography is is always going to lead to to addiction? Uh, I think it's a lot more addictive than people think. Um, do I think that it's always going to lead to people cheating? No. Um, given the right opportunity, will they cheat? Uh, no, not necessarily. Because, again, because of that element of shame, because of the motivator that shame really is. You know, all these self-help books and talking about motivation and, and believing in yourself and even me talking about getting up, you know, get up and fight in this kind of war analogy and get out there, buddy, and take on the day and, you know, you're going to fight this thing and you're going to be victorious. Um, again, that's sort of a thing that we lay over the surface and try and shove into our spirit from the outside in. And it doesn't work that way. I've learned that. I can say that to be true in my own story. These are wounds that we carry. We carry wounds on the inside. And to heal from those wounds, you start to see your addictions shed like hair off a dog. Okay? That really is true. From my experience, from my life experience, um, experience will teach you a lot more than books will. Because everyone has a different story. Everyone has different things that have happened in their lives. And uh, so, yeah, I don't I want to be a fear monger saying that porn is always going to lead to addiction. It just it really depends on how you understand shame and how willing you are to go in and bravely, courageously heal 
from the demons that are ravaging your soul, all right? And actually face that stuff, get serious about healing, and not just sobriety, and uh, have a, a, a beautiful, well-rounded, healed life. It is the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, the Bible says. It's not this monster sitting on a throne like Zeus throwing down lightning bolts is always disappointed in you. That is BS, alright? I'm passionate about this. Uh, as far as my story and, and my, uh, again, mental health relationships uh, being mindful of my own health, all right, my own self-care, to use that word, and my marriage. Um, it's been it's been a difficult year, all right, a, a few years actually, about three or four years. And so, my wife and I in a different dance, you know, as far as our relationship goes. I've always had a bit of animosity towards like self-help, right? And it, part of it's me being a theist, I think, growing up in the church and whatnot. There was a lot of emphasis on the spirit and, you know, making it about Jesus and, you know, God saves us and, and stuff like that. Uh, I've had to un come to understand my value. So in American evangelicalism, just in my story, in my growing up, in parenting my own emotional self, a lot of the religious Christian stuff that was tied to that uh, really jacked with my my value of, of me, of understanding myself. Of I used to say that a lot on this podcast. I used to say, I'm a disaster, right? But I'm less of a disaster, you know? I'm, I'm, a, I'm a ruins being slowly rebuilt. Um, and I've noticed that there's a lot of that in Christian culture, American Christian culture especially. But, you know, Western Christian culture, once you start to get past the layer of what people consider, like purity, for example, you know? Oh, well, buy a purity ring because that's a... That's like a garment that you can put on yourself, and it represents purity on the surface. Um, if you read Matthew 23, by the way, Jesus had some pretty harsh words about uh, adding accru accoutrements <laughs> unto oneself <laughs> to try and show some outward display of, of purity or holiness on the surface, you know, the garments that are wide and tassels that are, you know, robes and these things. And Jesus just um, had a lot of harsh words towards folks who really valued that stuff. Uh, again, in, in Matthew 23. So, you know, when, when our culture starts touting things like purity rings, uh, that's a symptom or an example of this surface kind of um, way to approach sexuality, right? The way I understand holiness now is a lot more on, in the terms of, of wholeness and what that means. Uh, and that takes seeing the world in layers. This is where I like uh, words like consciousness and understanding what, when you're awake to something when you aha moment, right? Like there's an example of, oh, I'm waking up to realizing 
this is true now, <laughs> right? Like that's a shift in consciousness. That's a shift of uh, a paradigm shift, if you will. So uh, having said that, my year, I started uh, in December on an antidepressant called Tritilix, and I'm actually in a clinical study on that medication. Don't worry, I'm not a guinea pig, right? I didn't sign up as some kind of guinea pig in some new medication that's not on the market. This has actually been on the market for a while, and it's not a serotonin uptake inhibitor like a lot of antidepressants are. It's actually a modulator, and that's different. And so where I've had uh, serotonin or RSSIs in the past. Um, those didn't help a whole lot. So I figured I would try this one and it, and it did help. All right. It did help clear away. And, and it's not just because I was depressed, right? Um, a part of this was some of the work that I was doing on, um, on my, myself. All right. My spirit, my, my healing journey. And that's another thing. If you've listened to this podcast for some time, uh, I'm going to work to heal every wound. All right, that's been part of this this message <laughs> that is ASI, uh, even to the point where I talked about compromise. Right? Did I compromise myself in viewing pornography when my wife and I weren't connecting? Uh, and my sex life wasn't, you know, that appetite, that drive had me start looking at, uh, the pictures again. Part of it was not shaming myself for doing it. All right. Well, it's going to cause issues in your marriage and your wife really doesn't like it. And I, and I know, I know, and I know these things. Um, but at the same time, the doing so and, and, not just letting myself do it, but realizing that uh, the the attitude of relapse, I think there's something to shame that really gets inside the identity of some of us, and especially me as a survivor of childhood sexual assault. And I know that's not everyone's story, but I think everyone who's listening to this show has a different uh, relationship with shame and the feeling of shame. All right. As I've said on this show, uh, Paul Young was a guest. Paul Young, the author of The Shack, was a guest that I had on, and he said something really profound about shame and the fact that um, guilt is a normal human emotion. All right. And when you do something bad, we feel bad. All right. That's normal. Um, if you don't, that's, you know, there's, there's probably an issue with that. Shame can be the corresponding feeling that guilt brings. That's, that's one of the ways we uh, define it in our language. We say, shame on you, or, you know, you should be ashamed of yourself, you know, when somebody does something that's you know, stealing a package off someone's porch or something like that, right? Like, oh, shame on that person, you know? That's, that's a horrible thing to do at Christmas time. Um, that's different. Guilt and that feeling uh, is different than the feeling of shame. So the way one processes shame, um, for example, we'll, we'll use the example of the, the thief stealing the gift off the porch. Why did he do that in the first place? 
well, he's poor, or he really likes heroin, um, he needs the money, uh, he's going to sell whatever's in the box, or he's lazy and he didn't go Christmas shopping. Everyone, everyone has a different story and a different reason for doing um, bad shit, right? Bad stuff. That's the thing about judgment, you know? There's that piece of scripture that says... Um, as you judge, so yeah, so shall you be judged, you know? And then there's this, like, pouring out metaphor that goes into it. And it seems like a lot of our energy, like, if it's egocentric, we try and not understand the other, right? Uh, we try and judge them so that we can feel better about our position. And it hurts, man. It sucks. Somebody steals a package off your porch, right? Um... My point in in shame and how shame manifests itself in a person, whether it's someone who's sleeping around or compulsively using pornography or stealing packages off a porch, um, shame has a lot to do with our motivations. I wanted to read you this as a friend. My friend Steve Carter uh, shared this. Uh, Steve, I had him on the podcast before, part of the Punk Theology uh, dudes, this was on the Punk Theology pub page that he shared it. Um, shame, here's the quote, shame left unattended, shame left in the shadows, is shame that will run from behind the scenes, disempowering us and determining far more of our behavior than we might imagine. That is from uh, Dr. Robert Masters. So true. Shame is a driver. That's why grace is so important. I think that's why being this kind of hyper-judgmental Christian, when I got off of the drugs, you know, when I had uh, got cleaned up from the chemical romances, um... I became really judgmental. I think a lot of that was projecting this per, this shame off of myself. Like, I felt this shame because I still had stuff that wasn't out in the light, right? Stuff that I was struggling with that I didn't tell anybody about. Like the compulsive pornography use, right? Uh, that, just going on, not talking about it, not telling anybody about, about it, but being able to kind of release some of that energy in judging others, you know? It, it felt like it got some off of me. But yeah, man, shame. Shame is a driver driving our behavior from the inside, like a m malware, right, in your computer. Part of the reason we keep relapsing or doing the thing that we don't want to do or compromising oneself with our own values that we'd like to think about ourselves is that shame gets in and it infects our identity. So what Paul Young said is, is guilt is a normal human emotion. You do something bad, you feel bad. Shame says, I didn't just do something bad, I am bad. Like, I am bad. I am bad at my freaking core. I'm just a bad person. I do bad things. That's the next conclusion that happens in the course of an, a shame-based identity. All right? Uh, so for me, my 
my shame has deep roots. And a few years ago, I started attending a group for male survivors of childhood sexual assault. Uh, I made some friends there, started processing some stuff. Um, I got into a kind of trauma therapy called EMDR, which I started almost a year ago. I believe I started it in February. And in the last year, I've really done some really good work in that area. Um, but also life happens, you know, uh, pastor Dan had him on the show a number of years ago and he has this analogy of, of trying to change the oil in the car while it's still going down the freeway, right? Like that's a, that's a, a good metaphor for going into healing oneself while still having to do life, right? Still having to work a job, having to be in relationships, um, uh, be present, uh, right? Uh, and not get fired from things. Uh, and, and I haven't been fired. I'm not in the pizza business anymore. I've been doing a couple of years now of driving Uber and Lyft exclusively. So that's what I do for a living. It's part of why I've been so busy. Um, so this last year, while processing my uh, what my therapist would call complex trauma. Um, as a sexual assault survivor, I was sexually abused a couple of times in my childhood, which is, you know, like the odds of that are, are pretty slim. You know, one out of five boys have been sexually abused. Um, and I was actually abused twice. So by two different people in two different kind of circumstances, one was a, a rape I could say that now, uh, at like nine years old. So, and then having this sense of shame that was installed on me as a kid, like even this show, when I started this show, I didn't really talk about sexual abuse. I talked about, um, one of the things I said in the surveys, uh, you know what? Like I, some stuff happened. I'm not really sure, you know, like that's how I, I, I didn't want to deal with it. I even said that in some of the show, like really having a, a staunch kind of Christian attitude towards recovery, maybe a purity sort of attitude, even even though I didn't like that word back then either. But I didn't realize that I was I was trying to um, not get to the roots, man. I was really afraid of the roots. I really didn't want to visit that. I really didn't want to talk about um, being sexually charged as a child, you know having some of my first sexual experiences with another human, uh, you know, it was just confusing and I was a kid and it wasn't, it wasn't something I was ready for, right? To use those words, uh, bottle of water. So EMDR, uh, stands for Eye movement uh, reprocessing and desensitization. Seth Taylor uh, is a big part of my entering into that kind of therapy because he talks about in his book, Feels Like Redemption, going to a place called the White Raven Center, uh, which is an outpatient mental health facility that uses a kind of therapy called uh, RTT or Rapid Transformational Therapy and controversial, right? Uh, because it, it, it has roots in Indian shamanism. And so, 
like if I had the money to fly to Alaska and do some of that, I probably would have. Uh, but you know, I don't know. I, I like that EMDR has scientific data that, you know, there's a lot of really good research around EMDR, a lot of clinical studies that have shown it, it, it really does help people. EMDR is very similar to what shamans do. I've talked about that in the show. Like, you know, it's it's the science why shamanism works. <laughs> Not that I, I totally believe that spirits are out there, you know, and... I don't know. I, mean, I know that some of that is there. People, some people are like, "Oh yeah, you know, don't mess with the devil or whatever, it's paganism or whatever." Um, I don't know about that, man. Uh, but EMDR is uh, it, it, it's it's different. All right, it's your bilateral stimulation. You're you're accessing a part of your brain that is very visual. It, it bypasses your frontal lobe where you reason stuff out and you try and make sense of everything. You get into stories and imagery. And so I've, I've really had some, some real breakthroughs in the last few years in this area. And I thank, I thank God for that, uh, for EMDR. And uh, a place called the Dawson Center in Everett that is uh, funded by grants and it's part of why I'm able to, to get this therapy. This is expensive therapy. Um, and I'm receiving it for free. Because I'm poor, A, and because uh, that's what they do at the Dawson Center is they help uh, folks like myself, survivors of that, um, you know, heal, which is beautiful. It's great. Um, there's a there's a plaque on the wall that almost brought me to tears and it's a bunch of people signed this document from Snohomish County in the city of Everett where I live just north of Seattle um, and, and they're talking about you know getting you know if we can help the, the victims of childhood sexual assault before right before the consequences or the ripple effect of that take take their hold we can stop a lot of crime right it's almost like a time machine approach to law enforcement right instead of having to arrest people like myself when i was a teenager i've been to jail a few times all right what if getting ahead of that and helping um survivors with therapy with uh groups with just community to help us heal before we, you know, start to identify with that specter of shame that has stamped itself in our identity and called us tainted, damaged goods, or, you know, you're just bad. You do bad because you are bad. That's something I learned from my abuser. Um, it, was, it was a message that was taught to me to keep me quiet, to keep me from telling my parents or anyone, really, you know. If they knew how dirty and sick you were, they wouldn't love you. That's that's uh, some of what I was told. All right, and so so yeah, man. The last year really putting my life back together. You know, and, and not that it wasn't together, but if I stayed in the kind of isolated, unable to to really be present um, in my own marriage and in other social situations. I really wanted to love people. I want to be um, the kind of guy like like that's part of Christianity too, and it's something that 
has bothered me doing this show over the years is that very few um, evangelical American Christians, you know, we talk about repentance and we point the finger at others, but few people really want to do it, really want to heal, heal every wound, you know, or even face what's a wound and what's a scar. Well, I have this scar. Well, let me poke on that scar. Ah, that still hurts. Not a scar, still a wound, right? And, and so many Christians don't really want to heal. You know, I'm, that may sound harsh, but it comes from personal experience. Deaths in the family in 2018, that was really difficult, man. Um, first one was uh, my wife's grandmother, Mary. She, uh, just a beautiful, awesome soul. She was in her 90s, all right? Um, she had a, a, a good long life and she was in a lot of pain you know so there's there's that right but it's still just sad like that's another reason I'm a theist like death death doesn't it hurts man it just you're never gonna see that person again in this life right and 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 this it's it hurts man it just hurts even though we know, like, if we're just all rational and left brain and it's all just, oh, you know, well, people die. It's not, it's not something new, you know. People have been doing that for since people have existed, right? But the, the pain around it, I think that part of it is we, we live in a world that wasn't designed for death. That's the theist in me, right? Um... So as I sit in bumper-to-bumper uh, <clears throat> -bumper traffic staring at taillights, uh, I wanted to read you this. This is something I wrote. Uh, my my wife's mom, who's also named is, is Mary, uh, her sister encouraged uh, us for the memorial, right, to write a story uh, about Mary. And, and this is what I wrote. I, I didn't get to attend... Uh, my wife flew down to L.A. with her mom, and they they went to the funeral. And, but I wanted to share um, my story, and they, they read this at her memorial. Um, so here goes. I remember the first time we went to L.A., the kids and I met Grandma. Then we heard we were going to Disneyland. When I was a child, I never went to Disneyland. This was my first time. So as an adult, I didn't really get it. The happiest place on earth, I thought to myself. Long lines, California heat, screaming kids everywhere. But what I experienced there, among all the chaos, was Grandma's graceful presence in relationship with her family. And with that presence, she brought this shining, beautiful, childlike wonder. She really did, man. That was, that was a beautiful part of her soul, you know, she was anyway, I digress I just had to go off there I saw my wife turn into a little girl and my kids filled with excitement and wonder in grandma's presence as she shared this place with them I leaned in one time and said to grandma Mary with all your excitement for this place, how come you never worked here? She chuckled and said, no, I just think it's a magical place, and I enjoy the kids enjoying it. Thinking back to my memories of Mary, 
that childlike wonder she possessed for Dana, our kids, her family, yeah, it even wore off on me some. I was so grateful and feel so blessed to have experienced that rare energy and person that was Mary. She brought a real childlike self into those moments, those valuable and precious moments when she poured out all that childlike wonder, grace, light, and love. That was pure Mary. With all her love and grace, she could make any place magical. And back in the studio. <laughs> that sounds better, right? That's one of those things about wealth, you know, people think about how much money they're going to have when they pass away. I just hope I have the equity that someone might say something like that about me <laughs> when I'm old. If I live to 96, um, that that those words would, would land um, on my character, right? That's the thing about age. And again, something in the scriptures that comes to mind is that uh, clay, potter and clay analogy. Um, we are the clay and the divine um, God, the universe, <laughs> if you will, uh, using different language, right? Um, is the potter and we age and we grow and we change. We're all changing. That's, that's been part of my... Uh, message since the beginning of this show um everyone's changing we all we don't stay the same things we we age the things we like we change um some part of our soul doesn't change some part of our heart doesn't change but but we are changing right and mary wasn't a wealthy woman you know she lived in a trailer park ever since i knew her since 89 uh but that wealth, you know, and maybe growing in what's really important, we age and we become more present in our understanding. You think she was like that when she was like 26 or 27, you know? I don't, I don't know. People, people change and grow. And again, I, I wrote that because she just, she just was a beautiful person as the grandma that, that I knew. Uh, so losing her, that was really difficult. Losing um, my friend Eric, who I had lost some contact with, who, uh, come to find out, had uh, had chronic pain for a lot of years and was on a, a number of drugs for that, opiates, uh, and, and had an overdose and passed away. Another guy that was my age... And then, of course, my friend Dave, which I talked about recently, and just losing him in October was incredibly difficult. Like, we had plans, and I knew Dave, you know, we were just texting. I have his text in my phone still. We were talking about getting tacos, you know, and then he, he's gone. I get a call from his wife, who's devastated. Um and just like Mary, that's some of the things I try and think about is the time that I, I had with Dave and that Dave was in my life. And and uh, Dave understood grace, you know. I think that that's a big one for me. 
both Mary and Dave were lessons in grace for me, teachers of grace. Mary, um, it's funny. Mary was uh, overweight. All right, she probably, in medical terms, would would have been obese since I knew her, uh, and that's like from '89. You know, she ate pizza and, uh, you know, just wasn't the most healthy person, right? It's just the exception to the rule, lived to be 96 years old. Uh, my friend Dave uh, had some damage, like myself, you know, uh, also a survivor. And Dave's trauma happened in a church um, to both him and his sister when they were kids. You know, a place where God is supposed to be, a place that was supposed to be safe, right? And Dave's sister had also passed away um, about 10 years prior to, to Dave's passing. And he talked about how, you know, them talking about this and he, him even bringing it up to her and he felt like she, you know, not dealing with that and could have led to her passing um so dave would i call dave a christian um dave didn't want anything to do with religion uh understandably right but i kept talking to dave about how i viewed god and how i viewed christianity and how i believe that you know jesus came to bust up religion right like like religion is the problem um and that seemed to to resonate. He he would say things like, "Yeah, I, I don't trust people. You know, I don't like people. I'm not a people person." But the funny thing about Dave is, I don't know. You know, he really was. He was really good with people. People liked Dave. Dave was fun. Dave had a heart for people, even if he wouldn't admit it. Right? Like he had this kind of gruff, tough guy exterior. And he had a soft heart underneath all that. Uh, at his celebration of life service, uh, there's a, a bunch of people showed up, you know, more than 60 uh, people that Dave's life touched the ripple effect of his life. Right. Um, it, in his he also he was driving Uber and Lyft with me. You know, he he got sick of driving truck, you know, and he was asking about, you know, hey, what kind of money can I make? He bought a van. I have a van uh, upgraded to a van to do XL rides. Those rides pay more. And and he, you know, he did that. And he said, hey, I'll do what you're doing. And I don't have to reinvent the wheel. I can, you know, you're paying your bills. You're making money doing this. I could, you know, learn from you. And that was really cool, you know, towards the end of his life. We got to be like co-workers and hang out and have lunch together and go for walks, you know, because we drove so much. You got to get your body moving, right? Uh, it was a good time that I got to spend with Dave. But he wasn't too much into <laughs> driving people around uh, as much as I was, right? Like, he didn't like it so much. and. He, uh, so he went to a place where he was able to teach, uh, truck driving, uh, school for truck drivers and, uh, taught other guys to drive truck, you know, that was, and he liked that and he was good at it. He was a good teacher. Um, that's what he was doing when it, when he passed 
he was actually up for a promotion and they were going to move his hours around where he could see his wife more when he passed away. Uh, so Dave though, Dave, um, he, he didn't, you think Mary and Dave had this view of the divine that was like, Oh, I gotta be obedient. Um, there was recent emails about submission, right? Like, how do I submit to God, Russ? Like, what does it look like to, to be in submission to, to God or to the divine? You know, I like that word talking about the divine because there's, there's something in that language that's different than my old religious, you know, God sitting up there on a throne and, uh, requiring obedience, um, Again, that's different than the Brendan Manning, right? Abba Father. Do you think Dave and and Mary, you know, had this kind of, oh, I got to submit? Or did they just walk as, as like God's kids, the divine's kids, right? Just being themselves, uh, growing in, in who they are and who they were created to be. That's how I like to think about them and how they've touched my life. Uh, but losing them, you know, it's, it's been an emotionally painful year, 2018. Uh, difficult, man. My wife and I went to Vegas for our uh, anniversary. That was cool. We got one of those deals from uh, uh, Timeshare. <laughs> we stayed in, stayed in like a Timeshare thing, Tahiti Village and in just we, the lazy river. They had like a lazy river, which is a, it's like a pool, but it goes in a circle, you know, and it's flowing and is laying there. And it was like 85 degrees in April, which is not what it is in Seattle in April. Uh, it, it just sunshine. And it was great. It was a nice time away. So that was one of the highlights of, of that time that my wife and I got to spend some time together, uh, about five days. And, uh, we got to see a couple shows. That was part of the package. It was pretty cool. Um, but being able to reconnect with her and we haven't had a vacation in a long time. So that was, you know, I've talked about homeostasis in this show and inertia, right? Like an object in motion tends to stay in motion. And, and when I'm out of the, the discipline of making things happen, it's like my friend Scott said when he was on the show, ACT, right? Action changes things. Um, taking action because uh, I can make excuses. Like I'm, I'm good at making excuses. My my mind is varsity at coming up with reasons why I can't afford to go on a, a vacation with my lovely wife. And that was also part of me, you know, walking the walk. <laughs> There's talking the talk and walking the walk. Intimacy disorder, right? Uh, this season six and understanding that it's not just a, a, a sexual thing that's going on on the surface, but the way we are uh, connecting. And so that trip took planning. It took discipline. It took me working and saving and and putting in hours and uh, to pull that off, to make that happen. And I made that happen. Right. By the grace of God, we made that trip happen last year. So that was really good. So, yeah, that was uh, 2018. 
2018 in in my life. It's been a very difficult year. And and that's why I want to encourage listeners, man, just rip the bandaid off quickly. You know, if you're going to heal, I, you know, I don't know. I want to rush you. Like everyone moves at their own speed and pace. Do I think EMDR is for everyone? I think some of you may need to start with like a talk therapy. EMDR is intense. Uh, but going into that, like my friend Seth says, uh, the Psalm 23 he he brings me you know makes me lie down and and in the near the river right and and yea though i walk through the valley of the shadow of death um i'm not alone his rod and staff comfort me that there's going making the decision to go into some of the dark parts of your story and unwind the emotional stuckness in it like you can't reason your way out of it you can't read enough books and cramming in from the outside this information that there's there's stuff in there that needs to be freed up from the inside out and i encourage you to uh to seek help you know for this stuff that's what i've been doing since the beginning um and be discerning right not every christian counselor out there is is uh the greatest and that's where i want to start uh with the emails, all right? Uh, email from, I got two, an email and a, a Facebook message from some listeners. Uh, one will call him Johnny and uh, another guy will call Steve. I talked about Steve in the last episode a little bit, but um, both these guys seem to be going through a really tough time and during the Christmas season being separated from their their kids and their, their wife and... Um, for pornography use and just strained relationships. This is what's going on. I've used the metaphor in past shows of the engine light coming on in the dashboard of your vehicle, right? That's the pornography. Um, There was a study that said that uh, and my friend uh, Jay Stringer, who I had on the podcast before, I'm having an interview with him next month. That'll be awesome. He did a lot of research, um, but there's this statistic about how when guys get help for like compulsive pornography use, right? And some of it's not even compulsive. Um, one listener writing in about that. Uh, most guys go in to get help for this when it, it's hurt someone in their life. Like it's it's hurt their wife in their relationship or their girlfriend. That's when they tend to seek help for this. Um, so the pornography use is sort of like the, the engine light on the dashboard. But it's, it's not necessarily your sexuality that is is the big right like oh if i can just get rid of the porn thing for me that's sort of like going back there and clipping the engine light off right the the porn thing is and the reason that's a huge conflict and problem in in your marriage and in your life uh the the big problem a big part of that is the fact that there's a relational component to it. There's a, a misfire in the engine somewhere of how the the relationship functions um, and how, for me, it was a lot of it had to do with me and how I 
Um, like not that my wife is a perfect, right? Princess and all this, but the, the fact that how I processed, um, shame, right. And, and disappointing her and being someone that I, I had to put on this persona or, or get her to like me or love me. Right. Uh, I couldn't just be me. I didn't even know who I was early on. So being intimate, right? Again, that word means all that stuff going on in your head, your dreams, your thoughts, your emotions, how you feel, how you do life, and you partner with someone else. You're sharing that stuff with them without fear, right? Again, the book of Genesis, naked and unafraid, right? The uh, Adam and Eve story. They're in the garden, naked and unashamed, unafraid. Um, what would you do if you weren't afraid? It's a big question. What would you do if you weren't ashamed of who you are and how you do life? Right? So that's a big part of this. So, you know, focusing on the porn thing is what a lot of churches will do. You know, you get guys into purity groups and stuff like that. And the whole focus becomes on how many days you can go without looking at porn or right. And, and that that's fine and well, but listen, there's something else huge. It's sort of like the tip of the iceberg. It's like focusing on the tip of the iceberg when underneath there is this way that we do relationship that is broken. Uh, and that needs to be focused on. And, and when your spouse won't get help, um, my wife is is like that. Like we've we have got help in the past, right? So, so she just not now. She's not doing that now. Um, but I will continue to to work on myself and to um, heal from my wounds. I'm not going to stop that because she won't, right? And sometimes you guys, you may need to demonstrate that to her. If she's not going to get help, you go get help. And not just to not, you know, that's another thing, not just to stop the unwanted behavior. That's really the symptom, you know, I want to stop this unwanted engine light, but I don't want to get into the engine. I just want to clip the, so I don't see the light on that's long term. That's not a good idea for (laughs) speaking in, in the terms of vehicles, uh, maintenance, and uh, the difference between the heart and the soul and the mind and the ego, right? So, you know, I'm sorry, you guys, man, uh, that you're going through this. That's something that I was told early on when I started the healing process from this stuff is, is, um, you know, sitting in the pastor Dan and, and looking at me and going, I, I said, I might lose my marriage. And he said, yeah, you might, you know, I had to get honest. I had to keep quit keeping secrets in the dark. I had to stop with the lying and the pretending and the facade that I'd built up, um, to, to pretend that I was that person, right? This wooden boy that if I could just, you know, fake it enough, I could make him the real boy. That's, that doesn't work long term. 
all the secrets and the lying, it just keeps this baggage and we carry it. Live in the light as he is in the light. Like there's that that metaphor, that's that way of doing life that, you know, that's grace, man. And it's messy. It's really messy. And it hurts people. You're going to come out in the light. You're going to, you know, expose who you really are and what you've really done. And, you know, the good, the bad, the ugly. Uh, live live in the light. I, I keep my flaws in the light now. I'm criticized for that. I say swear words. I listen to punk rock. I'm I'm one of God's kids. I'm doing the, you know, that's my obedience level. What does that even mean, you know? Uh, getting to a place where it's like that, that piece of scripture in John that, you know, that we love God by obeying the commandments, but it's more than that. It's just relationship. It's the relationship that we have with others, the relationship that we have with the divine, the relationship we have with ourselves and how working that out down down deep tends to take care of the stuff going on on the surface right it's like it's like that guy said um deal with your shit and watch your addictions shed like hair off a dog i hated that but it's true it's i proved it right um, so hopefully that answers that question. Um, another another uh, listener emailed in about me touching on evolution in the podcast and how I talk about um, evolution now in behavioral science. And uh, Bill, uh, we'll call him Bill, he's anonymous, but you had an issue with that as a Christian dude, right? You're talking about evolutionary psychology, you know, it's either theology or it's evolution, right? Um, the, the, I'm going to read you my response to, to his email. Uh, I don't really have permission to read his email, so I'm just going to read you uh, the response to his email. He did title the email Side Topic. <laughs> you know, but uh, it, it was really long. But that's kind of, in in a nutshell, what he was saying about evolution. Like you're wrong about evolution. Here, here was my response. Uh, I wrote uh, wrote him back with this. Hey, Bill, uh, thank you so much for the email. I'm so glad you brought this up. It's a good gauge on how some of this stuff is hitting the ears of my fellow Christian friends. It's emails and heartfelt, thoughtful correspondence like this that hopefully helps me become a better communicator, and I appreciate you, brother. ASI is 13 years old now this month. Uh, He wrote this to me in November, by the way. Uh, Wow, I said, I... started it because I didn't have a me. In other words, someone who had been through it and had the courage to talk about it publicly, one who could give some guidance and wisdom on what they have been through. Uh, I'm no expert, but I'm not a moron either. As I've been reading books, listening to lectures, and interviewing experts, it's been a challenge and a labor of working to love uh, people with my own imperfect reflection of Christ's love via 
sharing my own story and struggles while studying this stuff for 13 years, now pretty extensively. Um, So I have worked to be mindful of people's watchful dragons, so to speak. speak. Um, The places most of us put security in, especially men, secure emotional lockers like rational rationalizing an intellect that tend to freeze out the warmth we can find in relationship and connections. Uh, As far as evolution and creation are concerned, I agree with you. Uh, So a lot of his argument was, you know, pointing out, Hey, this is creation and, you know, trying to uh, differentiate between the two. Um, If you listen to some of the early shows, you would hear that I got in arguments with evolutionary behavioral science crowd uh, quite a bit in some of those early shows. Um, So why do I say the things about monkey brain and talking about evolutionary biology now? I got emails back from scientists and professionals and in colleges and, yeah, even seminaries, picking apart every one of my arguments, including some that you have presented here. I did a lot of studying uh, with an open mind and an open heart, and I have learned a lot from both sides of the arguments. Um, so I, I'm taking a break from the email here. I, I, I would get in arguments with people. Especially atheists or even creationists who believed in uh, evolution as a as a means of creation, and uh, you know I had to eat crow a little bit, right? Just based on what we know and what science can prove. Um, Anyway, continuing with the email, those those by the way, sorry, but those those arguments went nowhere, right? Like my goal is to get into people's hearts and minds. And when I'm trying to be right about my position as a creation guy, like that just never impacts the heart and the soul, right? It just doesn't. It's just people trying to get up here in this intellectual level and, and play ping pong or something like that. Um, trying to prove that they're right about stuff that no one can really prove. Anyway, So here we go on with the email. Um, I think somewhere deep inside, I was trying to define meaning. That's a big one. Uh, Let me repeat that. I think somewhere deep inside, I was trying to defend meaning, not define, defend. In other words, if we just evolved from goo or monkeys or fish or whatever, how is there any meaning to life? Who cares what we do, right? Survival of the fittest. Christian evolutionists unpack that well. There's an unseen hand in the universe that is guiding these things, and that is why we are here today. Um, Rob Bell would talk about the everything is spiritual uh, talks that he's done on YouTube, which are, are are really good, by the way, if you want to Google those. Um, There's a reason why we can't all kill... Sorry, let me back up. There's a reason why we haven't all killed each other, for example. Sigmund Freud was an atheist, evolutionary behavioral psychologist, and the granddaddy of clinical psychology. I will say he came up with some pretty good metaphors on what the flesh is. Um, I've talked about that 
about this and some shows around here in season six. Uh, the flesh and the spirit are at odds with each other in our bodies. Romans 6 says this, Galatians 5.17, James 4. The flesh shows up causing all kinds of mayhem. A good way to understand it is Freud's id, ego, and the superego. As man who didn't believe in the spirit, as a man who didn't believe in the spirit, he came up with uh, pretty good insight into our fleshy nature. Um, some pretty good explanations of sin running amok in humanity from Freud, for example. The word, the world, um, the world, I see the world in layers. In other words, we are all a part of the world, and God so loved the world, he gave. All right? The truth is the world is, its systems, institutions, including the churches, are ran by egocentric men for the most part. In other words, just because it's religious does not mean it's not worldly. Church scandals and pastors who fall into sin, I put that in quotes, has a lot more to do with the egocentric roots, egocentric roots than it does some deviant behavior on the surface. Over the years, I've had a front row seats for some of the bombs going off, and I've even been consulted in matters of church discipline. Uh, the ego, the id, is about survival at all costs. It doesn't love. It doesn't work to have empathy. It just biologically survives. Another way faith could be defined is it's putting our trust in stepping out in love. Even atheists will say that love is an active force in the universe, teaching us to grow and evolve as we work to value each other and get along as a species. Ultimately, where I land on creation versus evolution in the metaphorical language of Genesis and the scientifically proven things we can actually prove, uh, my answer is, you ready for this? I don't know. I am a theist, a philosopher, a psychology geek, and a Christ follower. And as far as how we all got here, I do believe there is a creator in the universe orchestrating it. But do I know how all the details came into play? No. And I'm not going to speculate to that end. Uh, again, sidebar. <laughs> Ken Ham... Uh, guys like him, people that argue that the world is 6,000 years old, uh, you know, when, when they're, they're adamant, right? The certainty around it becomes, you know, it, it becomes off-putting. It becomes repugnant in my, my mind. It no longer becomes about valuing people. It becomes about defending my position, and I don't, yeah, man, doesn't sit well with me. Anyway, on with the email. I'm confident in the discomfort around that answer, in the not knowing. Why? Dude, over the years, I have fielded hundreds of emails, some of them arguing about how I translate sexual needs in Second Corinthians to the Psalms to, yes, stories of creation and war in the book of Genesis and 12 steps 
Yes, I understand 12-step. I go into alcohol rehab at the age of 16 by the authority of the state of Washington. It was rehab or jail. I chose rehab. A um, few years after that, I got into meth and crack cocaine. So yes, NA groups for a while. Um, my biggest issues around 12-step is the scapegoating of alcohol, for example. So many people are throwing quotes around about the big book at me, uh, which, yes, I have read, and as well as have listened to numerous lectures on behavioral science and 12-step therapy groups and the like. Um, I've done numerous shows around 12-step, and he was asking about that as well. So, so yeah, I, I know my, my way around 12-step, all right? Um, sure, people can stop drinking alcohol, but they won't stop eating or having sex for that matter. So what I want people to be mindful of is the fact that we use alcohol, drugs, sex, food, shopping, Netflix, uh, whatever, as coping mechanisms. Uh, as a theist, I could say idols. It is simple and as complex as that. Um, to the point, like you said about, like you said about accepting the social energy uh, that was swirling around in twelve-step groups. Uh, my arguing started to taint the message and the reason the shows exist. Whether I was arguing with 12-step people or atheists, it, it started to feel like I wasn't, right, like the deeper message of this podcast and why it exists, why I do it, right? Um, back to the email. My friend and past guest on the show uh, called my argument certainty addiction. Um, having said that, I think there are things that it's healthy to be certain about, and there are things that we can hold dear that can also count as social small potatoes. In the Bible, Jesus would disarm certainty addict Pharisees, for example, summing it up with all of the law and the writings of the prophets and the lands uh, hinge on these two things, love God and love people. Some translations say valuing God and valuing people. Jesus um, drops the mic and exits the scene. Um, that's that, 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 that is so true. And, you know, he wouldn't, Jesus didn't get into these kind of petty arguments about intellectual faith-based stuff, right? Um, anyway, back to the email. Uh, as far as theology goes, I uh, would be more orthodox in my worldview today, less Protestant, um, not at all Roman Catholic. One of the things I love about 12-step is that is a spirit-first approach. So many Protestants, for example, are very Jesus-heavy, which is great. I'm a big Jesus-is-God guy, but there are members of the, there are three members of the Trinity, right? Um, 12-step groups, I believe, have a heavily spiritual, uh, no one is focusing on uh, some religious idea of God, right? Um, it's it's God as I understand God. Uh, I would say that this is a Holy Spirit kind of approach, and I felt the Spirit, I believe, moving in that room, Um it's not forcing people to take the Jesus pill. 
but having that the, that spirit in that room where people are just getting honest and bearing their souls, uh, the spirit's moving, man. Whether people decide if it's Jesus or a Christian thing or not, that's that's a Holy Spirit kind of approach, I believe. Uh, I believe everything uh, on this planet has a relationship with the Creator, even us humans that don't even believe that God exists. The most valuable things, I believe, uh, is pointing hearts and minds towards love slash God as the orchestrator and creator and listening to one another, being present and sharing our suffering, um, sharing and sure some people are going to stay addicted to certainty, but we can be in relationship with those people, right? With an open hand, uh, at some level of consciousness, uh, they're not, ready to stay in the room with difference and to heal from the wounds they carry yet. This is why I believe Jesus said, love your enemies. Uh, Thanks for the input and thanks for writing Bill. Uh, I will challenge you with this. Letting go and really surrendering to God for me is about deep faith that God is love and that you can trust him. You can trust the indwelling Holy Spirit setting up shop in your body temple yourself. In my life and in the lives of others who have experienced real transformation over time, there is this sense of peace that surpasses understanding. The realizing of our hands tightly wrapped around certainties that need to be let go of. Um, Letting go of burdens that we were never meant to carry. If you're going to heal, really heal, it will cost you. A result is you may start to walk away from your tribe as your consciousness expands. As you start to deepen via faith, chunks of armor fall off. And with your friends as soldiers holding on to their armor, you might start to look pretty socially awkward. All right. I added that part really in the email. I, I thought that was a better way, a metaphor of explaining it. But you will only experience that when you're ready. I like what Morpheus said in The Matrix. I can only show you the door. It's up to you to walk through it. Um, I love you, brother. Grace, love, and peace from the Trinitarian God of the universe and hugs from your friend Russ Shaw. Uh, so yes, two emails, that one, and then uh, another gentleman who was going through a separation and just going through a real painful time. He was talking about scripture and submitting to the Bible, right? And I uh, wanted to add this a little bit. He uh, talked about the Psalms. You know, I encouraged him to write a psalm like that was one of my exercises that really helped uh the bible right like it's not i might have said this in early shows it's really not an instruction manual it is a series of stories um the songs and the music that are in the psalms are like the um the soundtrack of the old testament right and and there's poetry in there and there's not 
a should and ought to attitude towards approaching God. A lot of this is, is David, the psalmist David, King David, um, and he is, uh, you know, he's pouring out his heart. He is sometimes very frustrated and angry at God even. Uh, that's how some of the psalms read. Uh, listen, right? That's metal. That's punk rock. It's uh, It's just where he was at. And so I encouraged him to write a, a, a psalm uh, to, to, to deal with where he's at, not that he can fix it. And he has no control over his um, what his wife believes or thinks about him or how she values keeping the family together. Like That's one of the things I learned in recovery, too, that you can't control people. You really can't. You can love them. You can influence them. Uh, through relationship and love and kindness. But you can't control people. We we can't control people. And some of you guys are in relationships with women who don't get your sex drive or your sexuality, and um, they can't control you either, right? And for some of you who are doing your best to to try and be obedient or whatever, right, that means in the, in the Christian spectrum of things, um, control is uh, self-control is is fruit all right it's it's a fruit of something deeper uh so i wanted to say that that you can't no one can control you and you can't control others and that's okay that's relationship uh so facebook uh, another uh, listener going through the same kind of thing. Um, my my advice to him, he was asking, you know, should I look at these pictures and masturbate, or should I? Um, is that okay? Like, if they're pictures of my spouse, is that okay? And I said, you know, if you've been listening to the show for any period of time, you'll you'll come to understand, hopefully, that my philosophy is is that you you are going to do exactly what you want to do. So this this is about changing want tos, or embracing your want tos, or understanding why you want to uh, in the first place. And there's no shame in that. There's uh, understanding who you are in that. And hopefully, uh, you know, through the course of the show, people understand what I'm talking about by saying that. Sometimes I don't understand myself. I'll be honest. Uh, I disagree with myself. I disagree with some of my opinions in early episodes. That's what's why season six is here. A big part of it. Um, another, I want to end the show with this one. A friend sent me a tweet uh, and asked about AC3 and my interview with Rick Thiessen and why I don't attend church anymore. And if uh, AC3 canceled on the Global Leadership Summit in 2019, would I return? Um. I haven't been to church since uh, July, all right? I encourage listeners to go to church, to be a part of a a faith community in this show in the past. Um, And I still believe in that. Like, 
I don't think you need to do everything. Like, I don't believe in like spiritual authority as much anymore. You know, I I think that having people that you care about you and you're in relationship with them and you care about them, would you respect someone? You will give that person authority in your life. People have to earn authority in your life. I don't think that someone sits on some throne and has some religious title that automatically gives them some kind of authority over you or your family. Uh, I, I just don't agree with that because, again, I do this and I've been doing this for 13 years. And there's a lot of those guys who are in the dark and they are not... Um, confessing their sins to one another, right? As John would say, I love that piece of scripture. If you say you're without sin, you're a liar and the truth is not in you, you know? And people that are open and honest, keep their flaws in the light, confess their stuff to one another. Man, big chunks of the church aren't doing that, especially people in authority. So uh, I've made really great relationships with people in churches. I have friends who are pastors. I have a spiritual community around me. So my situation is different, all right, than a lot of listeners, more than likely. If you don't have friends, all right, people that have uh, value relationship, value love, value peace, value truth, value being honest— um, value integrity, right? Having those kind of people in your life is so incredibly important. And you can meet some of those people in a church. You could probably meet some of those people in a bar. Um, it might be harder <laughs> to find those people in a bar or a church, uh, but they're out there and you kind of have to sift through people until you find some folks like I have that you can do life with and that can walk with you and will accept you for who you are and where you're at and love you with a, a Christ likeness. You know, this is community. This is spiritual community as far as I'm concerned. And so am I telling you, you shouldn't go to church? No, not necessarily. I think that we should all have integrity and, uh, I don't understand Roman Catholics. I don't know why you would attend a Roman Catholic church after all the news has come out and the continuing of hiding and not being serious about, getting to the bottom of pedophile priests, right? The Catholic Roman Catholic church is, is not doing that. They're still, um, it's like organized crime. So that's my two cents about the Roman Catholic church. Um, but if you're going to be a part of a place, you have to believe in the integrity of that place. Um, AC3, I love those guys. I have friends there. I love Rick. I love Dan. Um, as far as an institution, that place is broke Uh, It's integrity as far as I'm concerned. I can't in good conscience send friends there or say that that place is uh, the leadership. Like I could trust the leadership when they went ahead and defended uh, what went on with Willow Creek. And I'm not, you know, I, I, Bill Hybels, he's the leadership architect. Bill Hybels had sexual misconduct uh, that he's still denying. He's still not willing to. Ten women come out against him, and he's you know, he's he's saying, "Oh, I didn't do anything wrong," and they're all liars. So that's, yeah, sorry. I don't. Do I know for certain 
no, but evidence would say, and if I was a betting man, right, that this man is lying, he's um, totally hypocritical in in the way that's bad, right? (laughs) I believe everyone's a hypocrite, but when you can't admit that you are one, you automatically become the pinnacle of one, and that's Bill Hybels. And his leadership architecture is simply a corporate... uh, it's valuing, and this is fine in corporate world, right, in business. Like, I think it's cool to go ahead and and value leadership skills and getting ahead and hiring the right people and stuff like that. But in a church, man, a family slows down to the the lowest, right, the least of these, the person who's hurt, the person who's been wounded, especially by... The, the the authorities that say they're in control and in command of the helm of this ship and the body of Christ, right? Like, that's... No. No, man. The body of Christ isn't some institution. It isn't some corporation. It's not a 5OC. And it's just not, all right? And the more we value institutions and buildings um the more money has to be poured into them the more faking has to go on to keep butts and seats and money coming in in collection plates and that's that's where i'm at with that and you can disagree with me that's great i'd love to dialogue about that i'm not i'm not like oh yeah this is how i believe and it's just this is the gospel truth no, I'm, I'm willing to have an integrity conversation with uh, religious professionals, if you will. But I'm out. Like, I'm done with organized institutional religion. Uh, I'm a Christian. I have Christian friends. I have community. And that's, man, that's where I'm at. Will I go back to AC3? I, you know, I don't know. Uh, it depends on their heart. Right? Like, it's a consciousness decision to go ahead and host the GLS and... I, you know, I would have to get closer to them to know where they're at, do my own integrity kind of feeling out in that relationship as to whether I could trust them or not moving forward. So, so there's that. Um, and, and some people may question my, my own integrity as far as what I believe about the Bible and, uh, Protestantism, um, some people might ask, are you a universalist, Russ? Is that kind of where you land with this? Uh, I love that line in, in the book The Shack where uh, Mac, the, the main character, is talking to Jesus. And, and, and he asks Jesus, he says, so, so are you saying that all paths lead to God? And Jesus looks at Mac and kind eyes and chuckles and says, no, some paths don't lead anywhere. And he says, but whatever path you go down, I will follow. I'll be right behind you. Uh, that's, that's beautiful. That's a, another picture of grace. A God that doesn't leave us or forsake us. And, man, I'm going to have to share this. Reminds me of my buddy Dave. Uh my buddy Dave, who was very anti-religion for a long time, um, but was resonating with some of the stuff that I was talking about, about uh, Jesus being uh, 
ushering in an, an anti-religious uh, movement, right? A very punk rock rebellion. Um, these guys, uh, Bad Religion, uh, back in the day, punk band, like one of their uh, their symbols was a cross with the red circle and the line through it. <laughs> like that's that's bad religion. Uh, Jesus, uh, American Jesus, I, I think it was one of their big hits. Um, and and this tune, rest in peace, Dave Labonte, my friend. I knew since I was fifteen. The reminders of the love of friendship, a, a long-time friendship like that, in an imperfect world. And even though he never ran around and quoted scripture or was a member of a church, uh, Dave, his love, his connection with people that he valued and cared about, if that isn't submission to the God of the universe, Jesus said you'll know them by their fruits. Um, sometimes it takes guys like Dave and punk rock bands like Bad Religion to expose what's going on. Uh, the God of the universe, right? Crawling inside of corrupt systems of religion in order to destroy them with love and grace and connection from the inside out. Love you guys. That's a, the last show of 2018. And uh, big hugs for every single one of you. And, uh-oh, looks like, looks like I'm going on the naughty list. This is Hark the Herald Angels Sing by Bad Religion. Love you guys. Till next time. Till next year. Bye. Christ the highest heaven adore.